Welcome to episode number four of the Creating Responsible Companies podcast. This episode is called Better You, the 24 skills every professional needs, but they didn't teach you in school. Welcome to the Creating Responsible Companies podcast, where we equip, empower, and encourage business leaders, CSR professionals, and everyday superheroes with uncomplicated tools to create more socially and environmentally responsible companies. Now, here are your hosts, Barbara Anderson and Janet Craig. I'm Barbara Anderson, co-founder of Destination Better. And I am Janet Craig, and I am so excited to talk about this because we are going to super nerd out in one section. (laughs) I am. This is going to be very practical. We've broken it down into three different sections to make it easier to understand. We'll jump into each one, but just as an overview, the first section is called the natural talents. These are ones that you were born with, right? That In the hospital, they say, that little girl looks like she's got... The curiosity gene. That would be you. <laughs> that would be me. So number one is natural talents. That's the first group. The second group is communications and relationships. This is really a big one and maybe about 50% of what we think is helpful for a CSR professional to be successful in his or her career. And the last is technical skills. And we'll jump into that at the end. So we'll start right now with natural talents. And these are talents that you're born with, that you can improve and develop, right, Janet? But they're ones that just come easy to you. So if you've maybe even taken like the strengths finder test, these just bubble up as something that you think everybody else has because you're so good at it and so so easy to you. Or it kind of explains when you do take something like StrengthsFinder, or maybe they even took our superpower quiz. That's right. On one of our previous episodes, Those are things that you're just really good at, or people always come to you and go, could you help me with this? Because you're so good at (laughs) it, or I'm having a problem, and you're so good at doing this thing that we have kind of broken down in our careers, these things that really, really helped us in our roles. That's right. And so these are for every professional, I would say, wouldn't you, Janet? But I think in particular, it's really even heightened or more important for the corporate social responsibility professional or whatever they call themselves, the corporate citizenship, corporate responsibility, whatever the name, sustainability, corporate sustainability. All of these things are great for any professional, but yeah, there are a few in here that are definitely standouts for a CSR professional. Right. So the first one we have on our list is be curious, because we think the person who is in a CSR role needs to understand how the business works in every nook and cranny. And we always say it's a mile wide and an inch deep, right? That you need to know. And even when Janet and I have worked with companies, we say we know more about this company than probably 90% of the people who work there, because you have to know everything about every department from purchasing and what they're doing in their supply chain. You have to know about human resources, what diversity and inclusion initiatives, how the pricing structure of the company works, so that you can determine all of those things to figure out how you can add value to the business. Absolutely. And the next one is just being nimble. A lot of us, I think, are uncomfortable with that because we, especially as a CSR pro, you're going to be everywhere. And a lot of business leaders are like Mm -hmm. that too. But particularly for a CSR professional, you're 
going to be pulled in so many different directions that being nimble and saying, yes, of course, yes, of course, right? <laughs> and going to the next thing, because hopefully that curiosity that mm-hmm. helped you get to understand the other things that are going on in your company will help you become that nimble because that's, it's like jumping up and down on a trampoline sometimes. Right. And yeah. as the business changes, sometimes you wake up and a division of the company is sold or a new product yeah. launches. And so you have to incorporate that into your strategy. So the third one on the list is be genuine. And this is something that if you're not born with it, you really need to develop. You need to be genuine so that people know, like, and trust you and will get on board and be your champion and help you because we know every CSR professional cannot do his or her job without having people on their team. Absolutely. The next one is when I interviewed for the position, which was originally called community relations at my previous company. They asked what concerns I had about the job. And I said, having to say no, because you have to say no 95 times out of 100 before you can say yes. And we'll actually later share some ways on how you can do that and make it more comfortable so it's not like gut wrenching. But you have everybody across the company come to you with their special cause or their special request or, hey, I have a great idea. And you have to be able to keep those people engaged and keep them on your team, but educate them about why you have to say no. Which kind of leads us into the next one, which is uh, pick your battles. Mm hmm. So if you've been curious and you are getting more comfortable with saying no than you are with saying yes, picking your battles, that is not only being able to say no, but when are you going to really go to bat for something that you really feel strongly about? And if you feel that strongly about it and you've done your homework and you know that that's a, a wise battle to pick, then, you know, perhaps you go for it. But if there are other ones, and, and we've coached some other professionals through situations like this where we just have to say, you know what, you're just going to have to let this thing ride for a little while and see what happens. Mm-hmm. It's hard, but sometimes we have to remember that even though we're passionate about one single thing, it may not be good for everything overall, right? Yeah. But then you also need to know the opposite. Yep. And know, uh, know when to fall on the sword. That's right. <laughs> and when to give up. I learned those lessons the hard way, especially when I was presenting to the executives that I really thought I had a strong opinion and and, um, I had to give in sometimes. So pick your battles. And the number six is actually one of the toughest ones, I think. We know that these positions are often one person in a very large company or in a small company or maybe not even an official position. But number six is learn how to be comfortable being lonely, because it is lonely in this position. There's nobody in the company typically who understands really what you do, what it takes, how difficult it is, how you have to know so many things about so many different areas of the company, how you have to know everybody across the company. And me with not being really good at keeping people's names, (laughs) they know who you are. And you know how it is. They that's right. You're you, yeah. yeah, you're the only person in the company that's doing that job. They all know who your name is. Yeah. They know who you are. Mm-hmm. But there's who knows however many other people that you don't know who they are. But they're also going to be asking you questions. And it is hard to, you know, when you have a team of HR 
you know, you've got 20 or 30 or 50 people in your HR department, they can go and ask each other questions. Yeah. But you look around and usually the people that we've worked with in the past, you look around and if there's, it's a, a team of three, we're like, yeah, super, <laughs> that's a big that's team. A big team. <laughs> that's right. So that wraps up the natural talents as we see them. So we'll move on now to the second section of skills that we think every professional needs, but they didn't teach you in school. So the second section is really maybe the meatiest, wouldn't you say, Janet? It's like 50% of the any professional's success inside of a company. And so let's go with the first one, which is actually skill number seven out of our 24. And this is so important. You have to be as comfortable with the person who is in the cafeteria f- serving you food as you are with the chief executive officer. 100%. So this role, as we talk about an inch deep and a mile wide, is also something that you have to, at any given point, call on people in your company. And there were times I can remember where I would have a big conference room full of key stakeholders, internal or external, and about to launch a big event or a big initiative. And all of a sudden, the AV system stopped working or the power goes out in the room, or they didn't bring the vegetarian meals. And I would stick my head out the door. And because I had worked so hard to foster genuine relationships with people who were in housekeeping or in the food and beverage, when I came in and I had that God-fearing look on my face like, oh, no, they ran over and helped. And so you really have to have those relationships with people at all levels of the company and in, in including the C-suite or the CEO, the CFO, when we refer to the C-suite. And one note on that, too, is that, and, you know, I have a background and spent some years in sales, that the people that are customer facing and the people that are in all kinds of different positions, these are people that really have their finger on the pulse of what's going on mm-hmm. in a company as a community, because the company is a community of people. And I think it's just really important to make sure that you have those relationships Everybody can give great feedback, but uh, people that are in roles where they are in touch with lots of other people, Mm -hmm. it's so important. It's so important. And especially even from a sales perspective, your salespeople, and we talk about this in About Us part of our podcast, is they're like your greatest ambassadors, right? That's right. They're your greatest ambassadors and they know what's going on and they know what people are saying and doing and and having relationships with everyone, all levels of the organization is incredibly helpful. And one last thing on this is there was a really important report that the Boston College Center for Corporate Citizenship put out many years ago, maybe 15 years ago, and it was called Leading from the Middle. And it's because when you're in the company, you can't just work with the senior executives of the company. The people in the middle management have often the hardest job because they have some power to get things done or some endorsement amongst senior management, but then they have people below them. So they're they're having to work with the people in their organization who report to them and also manage upwards. But they are the ones who have enough bandwidth to take on some initiatives and to run with them. And they have enough resources of people on their teams who can actually get things done and as we'll talk about soon, if you can inspire them, then they can become big ambassadors. Absolutely. The next one on our list is fostering relationships before you need something. (laughs) What a concept. What a concept. It's a huge investment of your time. It's a huge investment of your time. 
But the thing, I think the thing that's key there is that relationship and really understanding your relationship with these people before you need something is because you're really getting to know what their role is, what really drives them. And as you take that curiosity, right? That's right. We talked about the innate curiosity. And, and it allows you to foster those relationships when you do need something, they're going to be there for you and they are going to help you out. And it's that simple. Yep. And and it's one of those two that I always felt like when I was walking down the hall, I always had to be on in a genuine way, right? I couldn't just gruff off somebody or, you know, whatever. I always had to keep those relationships. And so it wasn't like you come into the office and, you know, sit there and not engage with people because you never knew when you're going to need them, right? And so, and it's also a great way to live nonetheless. Okay. This is Barbara's. <laughs> this is probably close to the Number top. Number nine. <laughs> close to the top of your list. So this is all, we call it playing matchmaker to get things done. So we know that any CSR professional cannot do everything him or herself. And so when you have to roll out programs or you've got initiatives or people come to you, you have to have already developed relationships with other people. And if you can connect two people to take on a responsibility, you give them some direction and off they go. And nine times out of 10, I was completely blown away with what people would come up with on their own. So for example, if somebody comes to you, let's say, and they want to make a contribution to Habitat for Humanity, right? And then you have, you see that there's an opportunity in the business where you want to maybe spotlight a product or service. And so you know that there's somebody who's really passionate about giving back to the community, but it doesn't make sense for your business maybe to fund or volunteer for Habitat for Humanity when maybe it's a technology company and they should be in the classroom teaching science or education or math. So you've got somebody in the palm of your hand who's saying, I am stepping up. I want to do something. And so you have to educate them about why we aren't going to do Habitat for Humanity, why we're going to actually go into the classroom and teach four through sixth graders math and why that's important to the company. So you just have to rechannel them. And so by playing matchmaker, there's departments across the company that we often have heard reference to like sustainability cousins. And uh, if you look at any corporate social responsibility report, they cover every part of the business. And so as matchmaker, if you can foster relationships, or even have some of the people you've fostered a relationship with introduce you to somebody else in the company, it's better than connecting with them. Yeah. I did some work with a hospital, Barbara, before you and I met. So mm-hmm. this is years ago, but there's a uh, local hospital group in our Tampa Bay area. And one of their hospital groups wanted to do some sustainability related things. They just kind of wanted to know a little bit more about it. What does it mean? What is What does it mean to us? And their CEO was He just was understanding, like, how does that fit in a hospital setting? And so I went in and pulled them together and I said, okay, this is who we need in the room. We need, you know, housekeeping. We need their hospitality. I need need a chef. I need purchasing. I need the grounds people, blah, blah, blah. And it was the first time they had all been in the room together. It was the craziest thing. And we went through this, just a conversation about almost like an exercise of how, and you could do this in any company of how the decisions that they make in facilities for a new building is going to affect your turnover in HR 
for, you know, like, is there enough sunlight? Are people going to be productive? What's it like in there? You know? Mm -hmm. And so I worked with them for about six months and they were so excited. They completely understood what each of their roles were then and how they affected the other roles. They were completely different company in six months. It was unbelievable. Yeah. So much crossover that needs to take place for the successful company. So we'll move on to number 10 which is WIFM, (laughs) typically defined as what's in it for me. So as the CSR professional, you need to flip that around. And when you are needing something, you're needing energy data, or you're needing someone to volunteer or serve on a board or go into the community and talk on the behalf of the company and some of your programs, you have to position it in what's in it for them and what the value is. So it might help foster their relationships with others. It might put them in a leadership position inside of the company. They could be known as subject matter experts. So you have to educate them. Again, all genuine. I'm, I don't in yeah. any way want to make it sound like you're trying to sell them a bill of goods. <laughs> but if you have fostered the relationships before you need something, that relationship number eight, by the time you get to with them, mm-hmm. it should be a complete no-brainer. You should know exactly what is it that you can give that person to benefit them, what's going to help them in their job, in their role, personally, whatever that thing is that you should be able to just, this should be rolling off your tongue. Mm-hmm. So number 11, Janet. Connect and listen to different perspectives. Connect with people and, and listen to their perspectives to get them on your team. Again, that goes back to really understanding what their role is, even understanding. And I don't say this to sound like profit first, but I say this because, listen, people are working at organizations because they're getting paid, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So if you know how someone gets paid or if they have a performance bonus, it's really important to understand how they're compensated and why they're compensated. Because if you're a CSR professional in that organization, most likely you're going to touch them at some point in time. And understanding how they're compensated, understanding their perspectives. I can't get you energy data because we don't have a technology platform for it, or I've got to go to accounts payable and they've scanned them and they're not filed correctly. Understanding their frustration, understanding what drives them, understanding what super duper motivates them is incredibly key. So when you understand their perspectives and you can sit there and have a conversation with Mm -hmm. them, they're much more likely to give you a call when they're like, hey, I'd like to do something for you. Right. Part of the role is actually doing a lot of listening. Yes. (laughs) So before you say no, (laughs) because you know you're going to say no at whatever they're asking you, listen to their perspective. And that's how you can reroute them to what you've got maybe as part of your corporate responsibility strategy, which we'll talk about in the next episode. And when you do reroute them, guess what they're going to be? They're going to be 12 on our list. That's right. They're going to be champions. So the CSR professional needs to develop champions. Again, the individual in this role cannot do everything. So by educating, inspiring your colleagues, you can bring them along. They can do so much more than you can do. And and I often consider this role like a puppeteer. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know where you've got like the the piece of wood that's like the intersection and you've got a lot of strings down and you're holding the puppet, right? You're holding the wood and everybody's having to do things. And so, or you might have the visual of like the plate spinner. Yes. Right? Where you've got like six or eight plates spinning and you need to touch this one to make sure it spins. And then this one over here. And by having champions, they can help to lead some of that for yeah. you. And I think too that, and we've had this experience at a client, we were on site at a client asking about some supply chain questionnaires they were uh, receiving. And so we were working with purchasing to pull together some information and some supplier diversity data and just kind of helping them along that path because it's really weird and wacky and confusing sometimes. And so this person in the purchasing department says, hey, you know what? If they're asking us these questions, why aren't we asking them about questions? I'd like to know more about where all of our paper's coming from. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, Miss Patty, you should go and do that. <laughs> you know, if that's what you want to do. Like, here's a person who was a champion. But no one had ever said, you can be a champion. So you empowered her. Absolutely. Right? And said, yes, we go get that information, send her some info on paper, and off she went. That's right. So that ties into our next one. Number 13 is inspire. So we know that people want to work at companies that align with their values. And if you can inspire them about what the vision is or what the objectives or the strategy that you have for your CSR programs and touch their heartstrings and and connect the dots so that they see the long-term value of this, then you've got somebody who is just going to go to bat for you. They're going to break down walls for you. They're going to get things done that you would never be able to do by yourself. So number 13 is inspire. And number 14 is around educating. And I think this is one of these big, major, like put a big circle around this one, (laughs) underline it, highlight it, big circle, bold it and all that stuff. Educating other people, uh, not only about like what you do, Mm -hmm. but allowing yourself to be educated by other people as well. But one of the things I think is important is understanding, and I'm a big, I love reading data and reports and trends and figuring out how all these little trends, data, (laughs) how all these little trends fit together. But whether you're educating yourself through any kind of continuing education programs or anything like that, but also taking a look at what's outside and what those big trends are and what's affecting you and your company, because you've got to stay out in front of it. That's right. So by educating ties into number 15 is one that I probably learned the hard way is that you have to connect the dots. For people. So as you're developing your strategy or your initiatives or your programs, you, because you're deep in the weeds and you understand what the needs are of the company and what the opportunities to add value to the business. And so you see this thread of dots that you're connecting from what you're trying to do to what you're trying to achieve. But we can't assume that others have connected those dots because they're running their own departments. They're managing their own people. They've got their own day job. And so you have to connect them. And so kind of like the Stephen Covey begin with the end in mind. So if you explain to them what the end is from the beginning and what you're trying to get there, they also will bring a lot more creative ideas than maybe you had on your own. So as you're telling that story whether it's something you're trying to get up and going or keep going or even educate your stakeholders about, connect those dots for them. Okay, so the last two things on our list are like, it's 
we're going to summarize everything right now, (laughs) right? right? The number 16 is value propositions are your BFF. <laughs> you can Janet tell me, is, loves her value I props. I do. I do. Thank you, Xerox, for teaching me value props. Value props are amazing because they are three to four really simple sentence structure that's just so easy. Here's the problem. Here's what I could offer as a solution. This is how I approached it. Maybe do the, you know, if you guys are familiar with the feel felt bound kind of approach, whatever. And then that third or fourth sentence is going to drive home the benefit of the solution to that problem and how it's going to benefit that person. So if you've fostered that relationship, you know where those people are coming from. Maybe you know how they're compensated, how they're motivated, what really inspires them. So that when you go and you need to do something like ask for more budget. That's right. Or um, ask for, and we always go back to this because it seems to be the, sometimes the hardest stuff to get is energy data. And you've got someone who's controlling the energy data and they're just like, oh, I don't want to give you the time of day. You have to have a value prop statement for that person. You have to do it. And it's, they're simple, they're unemotional, and it's just, they're factual. And so they're really easy. So get used to doing them. That's right. That's why it's under communications and relationship building. And the last one on this list is one of my favorites. And it really stuck with me when I had a manager say this to me. And it wasn't because I was doing it, but it was just like a word of caution. He was head of corporate communications internally and externally. And he said, Barbara, don't look like you're the yearbook editor. And what that means is don't be in every picture. Don't be the author of every article. Don't be the face of the company every time. And it's really hard, both from a logistics standpoint, to have somebody else be the face when you're when you have an initiative or you're at an event. Um, and also when you are, let's say, at a big volunteer event or at an award reception, if you are the person in the picture every stinking time, why would anybody want to? And participate with you, right? Exactly. If they're going to take all the credit. And so that's what that one is. And I, I think back about a manager that uh, introduced me at one of our executive events. We had like 120 different of our top leaders. And, um, and he actually wrote a song for our employee giving week. And it was just beautiful. Really? And he, yeah, and oh he did God. it on his own. And so as he's sitting on the stool with his guitar, he goes, you know... When Barbara asked me if I would do something for the event, I think she thanked me before she asked me. And he says, you know, you can never tell her no. (laughs) And so when you put people on the stage, we got invited for one of our programs were in human trafficking. We got invited to the White House because it was such a leading edge program and they wanted to learn how other companies could engage. And I didn't go because it was my mantra that other people need to have, if I took all the fun things, <laughs> why would anybody want to engage? So I had some amazing partners who helped roll out a number of programs and I attribute it in large part to that too. But you also have to check your ego at the door and swallow a lot of things when somebody else is getting credit for your work. So there's a balance there, but you know in your heart what has taken place. So let's talk about technical skills. That's right. The third section of this, the third and last is technical skills. And the first one, I think more and more every single day is you have to be tech savvy. And this means that you have to roll up your sleeves. You have to understand and and dive in and learn 
what needs to be done. There's so many programs now, aren't there, where they're managing volunteer programs, managing grant programs, managing, oh my gosh, Janet knows so much about data and these spreadsheets she goes into. <laughs> Sustainability data uh, management systems. Yeah, yeah. They are yeah. full of gold. Yeah. So you have to be, and it's your responsibility. And we often reflect on a story where I started at American Airlines and I was the new person and I was actually a temporary employee at the time. And I was in the International Human Resources Department and they were buying routes for American Airlines was uh, buying routes from British Airways. And so we were actually acquiring these employees and they were in this system called Paradox. (laughs) And which was like the precursor to Excel. And so they come to me and they go, Barbara, we need somebody on this project. Do you know Paradox? And I said, yes, I do. So, and this is before tutorials or anything. And do you know from five o'clock till 10 o'clock at night for several nights, I stayed and I learned that paradox. And so we often jokingly say it's a paradox moment. Yes, I do. I know how to do that. Yes. But if, you, you, if you ever hear us say um, <laughs> we're having a paradox moment at Destination Better. And sometimes, you know what? Corporate responsibility professionals and business leaders, they need to have their own paradox moment sometimes and say, or you know, maybe you don't exactly know how to do something, but you've got to roll up your sleeves and get it done. But staying on top of technology and meeting with technology providers, it's such a time saving thing. It is so incredibly profitable or helps the profitability of your company. One of my favorite sustainability data management systems did this study and they found that just by companies looking at how much energy they were using, Mm -hmm. They saved 10% just like that. Yep. I mean, and, and it paid for the management system within like 90 days. And a lot of people are like, we don't believe that. And I can tell you that I'm a data person and believe it. So, yeah, there's a lot of really good technical tools out there that can help make your job a lot easier. And just to follow up on the paradox moment that I had as as a temporary employee at $5 an hour, I might add because I was the only one in the company who knew this database. And it was every employee at British Airways who managed, who was on these routes. I knew their kids. I knew their addresses and everything. And so I became a critical part. And so when everybody in the company wanted to go to London for two weeks as part of this acquisition of these routes, I had to go. I was the first employee Darn, in America. I was the first temporary, what they call provisional, who went outside of the country on any type of a visit, any type of business trip, I should say. And I met my next boss who hired me with the company and then everything was there. But it was, you know, don't shy away at learning technical products. So Janet, you're good at the next one. Efficient decision making. This is one of those things where Barbara and I make a really, really awesome, strong, amazing, incredible. I am so thankful for partnership <laughs> every single day. <laughs> exactly. And Sometimes if you're not an efficient decision maker, I think that you can become an efficient decision maker, but sometimes you just have to strip the emotion out of stuff and get down to it and make the decision. If you're not good at it, find somebody who is good at it. And I'm not talking about having to make a decision, I don't know, that has some a lot of emotional stuff attached to it, but efficient decision making also applies to when you're looking at technology platforms and putting together all the stuff that you need to put together to compare so that when you do go to the CFO and he or she says, okay, how did you get to this point? You can quickly and efficiently show them exactly how you got there. But 
when you have other decisions that maybe are a little bit more, more emotional, you still have to get down to, like Barbara said, what's what's best for the business. Yeah. And if you need some personal growth as a result of that decision making that you had to go through, then you know, you find some training or you find some way to to get that soft skill, you know, put back into your uh, back pocket so you have it next time. Yeah, and I would but, add to that that one of the CEOs, former CEOs of Travelocity, she and I worked closely together. She was a terrific champion for our programs. And she said, I have to make so many decisions in the course of the day and I have to be so efficient at it. I if I get it right eight out of 10 times, I'm having a good day. It's and exhausting. I, yeah, and I know I'm not going to get them all right. But by the time I kind of dive into analysis paralysis, the opportunity has passed us by. And so you can't strive for 100% of always making the best decision. That's a really good point. But yeah, I think that everyone can become efficient at decision-making. It's almost like sometimes when Barbara and I are working on information that we're putting together, we just have to set a timer. Yeah, Because Mm -hmm. if not, we could just sit here and daydream about stuff like all day long, right? (laughs) So I think that efficient decision-making is timely. It should be beneficial to all, including the business, because Mm -hmm. you're probably in a business organization. Take into account, you know, what's, again, what's best for the business. And you may or may not agree. And emotionally, you may be tugged someplace else, but it's at the end of the day, sometimes those are the ones that you learn from the most. So number 20, Janet. It's really important that you need to know when and where to ask for help. And for somebody like me, that's a little hard sometimes because (laughs) I am that really efficient decision maker. Uh, And so I think I can do everything. And when you've come out of CSR leadership Mm -hmm. roles, sometimes you have to, you feel like you have to do everything, but knowing when and where to ask for help and when you need some bit of information, and we go through this with our clients too, we're always like, okay, who knows that information on day one? Who's the person that knows more information than anyone else in this company? How can that person help us get to where we need to Mm go in fostering those relationships? You may not need them now, but you're going to need them in the future. And yeah. Yeah. And I would even add too to that, that because this episode is called Better You and it's focused on the individual. In addition to that, you need to know when you don't know something. Absolutely. And so in a previous episode, I talked about how I started in this role in the late 90s, and it was called Community Relations. And we were rocking and rolling, and I had a couple million dollar budget, and we were given to the community, and I had employees volunteering for Big Brothers, Big Sisters. And then our leaders came and said, what's the value of this? And I'm like, hmm. I got to go figure out how to do this job where a little more strategically. And so I had to invest myself in going to classes at the Boston College Center for Corporate Citizenship, going to BSR conferences. So know when you don't know something and take action on it. And also that next one on our list, which is identify and communicate the return on investment. What's the ROI? Who's it benefiting? Like Barbara just said, at any point in time, if somebody feels like something's a little soft, you may be at risk for getting that budget cut or you may be at risk for somebody coming and questioning what it is that you're doing. So always value prop, always ROI. What's the benefit? Stay focused on your mission, profitability, enhance reputation, you know, meet the purpose of the company, all those good things. But if you don't know how to calculate return on investment, this is some really, it doesn't have to be super technical. It could be like, this is the cost. This is what I think the benefit's going to be. You can't find somebody who's really good in finance in your company to help you. They'll teach you how to do it. 
make a really simple spreadsheet. It's not difficult, but know that so that you can also track it and you can go back and look at your own track record too. Yeah. And one thing I know that you're passionate about, Jana, is retention of employees. (sighs) Yep. And if you can even shave off 1% employees who stay more because you're investing in the communities and you're telling your story and they feel connected to the company, that 1%? That one person who may stay at your company a year longer Mm -hmm. or a year and a half longer, that is a 100% direct result of someone being a really good, effective corporate responsibility leader and communicating the environmental and social good of the company and matching people's values and making them feel good about who they are and what they're doing at your company. Employee turnover is expensive. There's an ROI and here's an idea. You know, if you don't know how to do it and you wonder what it is, go sit down with the chief HR officer and ask Mm -hmm. them, what's your biggest problem? Employee turnover. Hmm. Okay. Well, let's see if, can you put a price on it for me? Yeah, I can. Okay. Well, now what would happen if we ran some program, right? Yeah. And we shave in a percent or two, maybe that's going to help you get a bigger budget next year. Yeah. And I would add to that one way that you can actually show the data because it is tough. And unfortunately, people in these positions, we always scratch our heads and say, why are they always asked to show the ROI of what they're doing? You know, they don't ask that of people in finance, like, what is this financial analyst's return on his or her investment, you know, for their salary? Exactly. <laughs> you can laugh. Exactly. And, or in human resources, what is this benefits person? What kind of ROI are they providing? So the when, people when in CSR yeah. positions will resonate with that Yeah, one. they're the ones that are like driving and making sure that, you know, the reputation and the strategic vision of the company is is good. Well, not maybe not totally the strategic vision, but as it result as it applies to their environmental and social impacts, gotta work with those people and a lot of that profitability and turnover and attraction and retention of talent and reputation, a lot of that rides on that CSR Pro. Yeah. And there's one initiative that I undertook that was enormously successful because it is so difficult to show numbers for what you're doing. And so I worked with our HR department on the annual or biannual employee opinion survey. This is, this is good, people. <laughs> Pick this value one up. bomb. Write this down. <laughs> and so I said, I lobbied to get a few questions on, on the survey, which was like gold, you know, yeah. to get on because they didn't want the survey too long. So we were able to rally around two questions that were helpful. And the first was asking employees, do our social and environmental initiatives are you proud of our social and environmental initiatives? Are you familiar with them? And it was like typically like 83% or whatever. But the second question is the one that I was always most proud of. And I always called it where the rubber meets the road. And it asked, do our company's social and environmental initiatives or programs, do they encourage you to stay with the company? Are they part of the reason that you're staying with the company? And it was usually one of the top five highest rated questions. It was in the low 90%, which was unheard of. And so that was, I swear, I hung my hat on that because we had to communicate for people to know what we even were doing and for it to influence retention was enormous. So I encourage every CSR professional to try to do that. Go, that's a good battle to pick. That's right. (laughs) Okay, so now we're on to number 22 out of 24. 
What's that saying that the one constant is change, right? Yes, I like change. In life. So the CSR professional needs to be open-minded to change and also has to coach others to be open-minded to change as well. And we talked about a little bit earlier about being nimble, but we know that one constant thing that's always going to happen is change. And as Janet said, picking your battles and knowing like when something changes and you need to fight for it. And I certainly fought for a lot of things along the way, but you do, you have to decide what to try to stand up for, but you have to be open-minded to change and to get input. And you may have a program that you've done for years, but then maybe it's not meeting the same needs or maybe it's not adding the value that it could. And so listen to your stakeholders and change when you need to. So be open-minded to change and also encourage others to be open-minded as well. Number 23 out of our list of 24, and this is something that is one of my superpowers or just something that I was born with, is to be frugal with your resources. And often people in this role have a really tight budget and because the company maybe doesn't see the value in it. And I know certainly whenever there was budget cuts, it was like mine was like the first to go. So you have to be frugal throughout the year. And I would even be so frugal that towards the end of the year, I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to spend this money or <laughs> That's a terrible it. problem to have. <laughs> not going to get it again <laughs> next year. But I think it's important to, in addition to be being frugal, really the key of the is to spend wisely. You are the steward of your company's resources, whether it's financial resources that you're giving as grants, whether it's managing the utilities and you know that you can actually save the company money or the most valuable, the human resources, right? As people are volunteering on programs, sitting on boards, how you're using their time in meetings and being efficient, be really diligent and really spend those resources wisely. And the last, I think, is maybe one of the most important is realize that you cannot do everything yourself. (laughs) This is not a position that you are going to do you're going to be at every banquet, that you're going to be in every meeting, that you're going to make every presentation, that you're going to connect with every nonprofit. You cannot do it alone. And so back to kind of the whole puppet model, if you will, you've got to bring people on board, you develop champions, develop relationships, and acknowledge that you've got to let go. So if you're a control freak, this may not be the... (laughs) This is not a good role for you. (laughs) So just acknowledge that you cannot do everything yourself. So those are our top 24 skills that we think every professional needs, but that they didn't teach them in school. So we hope that everyone found value in this. We will, of course, as always, put this into our show notes and as a download, as a resource, because I think it's some good guidelines and it's a good checklist maybe to put on your desk or to have on hand when you find those challenging moments and you're like, gosh. I need help or self inventory, you know, it'd be a great thing for people. You know, we're finishing up the year, right. Mm -hmm. And um, we're coming on to a new decade and I love next year. It's 2020. So that's like the year of clear vision, right? That's right. So if you're interested in, in taking a look at this, download the, you know, take a look at the show notes, take a look at the resource tool that we'll post and do a quick self inventory and take a look at where you might need some help or guidance, or even maybe there's some other people in your company that are better than you are at one thing. Maybe you're better than they are at something else. And you guys could kind of trade off some training or mentorship or time together or something. But I think it'd be a good way to end the year with a good solid self-inventory so that next year you can get cranking on 
pushing your initiatives forward. Yeah. Rate yourself on this. And again, this is a part of a two-part series. This one's called Better You. The next one will be called Better Company. So how can you take what you have as an established professional and use these skills to then actually implement the more technical parts of corporate social responsibility? We've got a three- step process that makes it easy. That's one of our uh, guidelines here for this podcast, right? To make CSR easy. So we're excited to share that with you. And we hope that that's another tool that you'll be able to use and implement in your company. And don't forget, if you have a great story to share with us, or if you want to share a win, or if you want to say, hey, um, Barbara and Janet, it would be really helpful for me if you could <laughs> dive a little bit deeper into this mm-hmm. topic. Don't forget, if you go to destinationbetter.com, there's a say hello tab and you can send us a note and you can leave us a voicemail and we'd be happy to hear your story and share it and also cover any other questions or topics that you guys need to yeah. take a deep dive on. And share this with others. We can assure you this is not a list that you'll find anywhere else <laughs> because we brainstormed it just based on our experiences the last few decades that we've had in business. So thank you for listening. And we hope that you'll join us on part two, which is Better Company. And let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to the Creating Responsible Companies podcast. Find tools and additional episodes on our website, destinationbetter.com. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover, leave a voice message on our contact page. Don't worry, Barbara and Janet aren't millennials. They actually listen to voicemails. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. 